Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to Inside the Firm. Today, we have a very special crossover episode for you guys. We were recently on the Business of Architecture podcast with Enoch Sears. And so he, I think it's a third time we've been on that podcast. Enoch is a great friend, a great ally, and a great podcaster, and a great supporter of the architect community, as you very well know. So we encourage everybody who hasn't somehow listened to his podcast to go check out his podcast, The Business of Architecture, and also his courses on um, helping architects become better, building a better business. So, uh, but before we do that, we have to thank some sponsors. Uh, So if you're still on the fence about going to trade shows in person this year, how are you going to keep up with the latest and greatest in architectural products? Introducing ArtCat Alert. Get the scoop in this weekly newsletter featuring leading manufacturers and their newest and best products. And since it's backed by ArtCat, you know you can begin by researching these products for free and without registration. There's also Architect a curated newsletter for the most interesting architecture stories of the week. Check them out at arccat.com forward slash A-R-C-A-T-E-C-T. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com forward slash A-R-C-A-T-E-C-T. Check them out. This podcast is also brought to you by yours truly slash Alex over at rabbitrocketship.com. If you have been teetering on the edge of t- going from uh, AutoCAD, uh, Archicad, uh, hand drafting, or you just want to pick up a new piece of software to learn um, on your own, uh, go check out rabbitrocketship.com because that's where you get our honed uh, template that we have honed in at, at, at our firm over 10 years now that takes you uh, to the next level and will make you more profitable. You know, I um, we pretty much guarantee you it will make you more profitable because you are going to, if, if, you're, if you're, one of your hesitations is ever to learn Revit, to get into that, is that you have to create the new template, create all the all, all the Legos, so to speak, for the buildings. We do that for you. It's jam-packed full of content, great content. Uh, and, and also, the tutorials. The tutorials there will blow you away. They will get you up to speed in drafting as soon as possible, and you'll never, ever look back. I promise that. Also, if you have been considering making the leap, becoming an architect builder, architect plus builder, go to architectsguide2.com. That's architects, plural, guide2.com. So it's A-R-C-I-T-E-C-T-S-G-U-I-D-E-T-O.com. And check that out. Uh, inside the firm fans, you guys can use the promo code ITF to get 10% off your purchase there. And we will help you increase your revenue. You need to take on more responsibility by becoming an architect to builder. Uh, even if you're building your own house or building your own project, I guarantee you this will save you money. I guarantee it will be valuable to you. It, it, it is super helpful. We're really proud of it. 
Um, so go check it out. There's a little preview. If you go to Architects Guide 2, uh, you know, there's a little preview of Alex and me uh, giving the intro on, on what it's all about. So, so check that out. And last, but not certainly least, uh, I wanted to uh, tease a little bit about um, the Monday's, Monday's podcast guest. So Lindsay Pritchard Fox, who is one of our co-hosts here at Inside the Firm, uh, she runs her own firm. Um, it's called Tiver, T-I-V-E-R. It's actually Revit backwards, and I just learned that the other day. Apologies. Uh, but uh, she has um, a, a, a great guest, and his name is uh, Matthew Bird, and he's the president of LaserScan. Um, he, uh, he's the president of LaserScan, BIM, UAV, podcast host, land survey, California. He he is fantastic. So he's the president of Nexus 3D Consulting. He does amazing work. That's how um, Lindsay uh, does a lot of her work um, and how she's so successful. So make sure you put it on your radar. If you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you can find us on your podcast app, check out that episode. We are excited to have Matthew Bird on the show. And without further ado, I've spoken long enough. Here is our interview on the Business of Architecture podcast with Enoch Sears. Today, I speak with Alex Gore and Lance Psycho of the Colorado firm F9 Productions. These guys also run a great podcast related to everything about running a firm. You can search for it inside your favorite podcasting app. Search for the name Inside the Firm. In this episode, you'll discover how Alex and Lance have added construction services to their architecture firm's business model by offering to build their clients' projects. Now, on the surface, it seems fairly simple to do. Today, they're going to unravel for us what actually happens behind the scenes and what you need to do to pull this off. As a result, they've made more money and got more financial consistency in their practice. So I'm excited to bring this story to you. And with that, on with today's show. Alan Lance, welcome back to the Business of Architecture podcast. It is great to be here. Uh, it's been a while. I think this is now our third time, uh, but we enjoy it every time we come. Yep. I always love being on the show, Enoch. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm loving the topic that we're going to speak about today, this idea of architect as builder. And so the first question, let's dive right into that, if that's good with you guys. Yeah. What, what, what do you got? So the first question is, what are the top three things uh, that you each individually have learned and discovered uh, in your journey as an architect builder? I'll let Al go because he has the steepest learning curve. Ah, nice. nice, <laughs> nice. Good. So I think the first one is, you know, we called it architect. We're, we're building a course. We built a course to kind of convey our knowledge to everyone. Um, and it's, it's called architect to builder. And I think there's a distinction because a lot of people think design build. I'm going to be a design build firm. Mm-hmm. And we don't think that's the way to go. There's a key distinction between design build versus architect plus builder. And this is not just coming from us. We've actually asked, you know, other people too and, and seen the ramifications. You know, one ramification is one problem we see with design build firms is they rob Peter to pay Paul, meaning they're going to get all their fees during the construction end and they kind of skimp on the architecture end. And then sometimes those break apart because you're not doing your job as an architect, right? So all of a sudden that relationship breaks down and the client fires you. This has literally happened to projects that we've gotten. And then they don't want to give the drawings to the owner 
because they have a sour relationship. And now our architecture firm has to redraw everything. So how we approach it is, oh, we're your architect first. We have this building knowledge we'll apply to your architecture. You know, we might not even bring up that we're going to build it, but if it works out and if it's appropriate and we have a great client relationship, you know, then we'll ask to build, bid it and then be your builder. So, so isolating those separately is huge. Um, and so that's like one key distinction that I think that might be glossed over, you know, because I think that term design build is, has just been around forever. Right. But that's not what we're going to. Um, but separately now actually going through this journey, the, the knowledge of being a builder has helped us become better architects. Just every instance of what is happening on the field, how does that apply to the drawings? And then how does that apply to the clients has been a huge benefits, even when we don't, because the majority of what we draw, we don't build the vast majority. We don't. Um, and then the last part is it helped us become a better business owner, right? Not just an architecture, better architect, but a business owner, because now those those projects that we do extend, it's extending basically our safety net. It's extending our cash flow because a lot of people might pay for the design out of pocket. But once they get that, and, and let's say a recession hits, let's say something goes wrong in the family, you know, it's not often, but those projects can die or go slow. And normally it's not that big of a timeline. It anywhere from two months to a year, but normally around six months. Once you get that build, and it's funded. The, the money's there. It's not going away. The bank's not taking it back. And then you have a year. You have a year of cash flow right there once it's signed. It, almost guaranteed. Like I would say the chance that it's not guaranteed is, is very rare. Yeah. Uh, number one thing that I've learned is white collar is not blue collar. And I know that sounds obvious, but what I mean by that is the psychology of uh, working with subcontractors who are blue collar uh, folks versus uh, what is primarily white collar in the architecture field. If you are an owner, a, a boss, um, a manager such as we are, then that is going to just understand that, that there's a learning curve in, the, in working with the psychology of both of those groups and that they have different needs, they have different concerns, they have different wants, and they have different ways of operation. So that, that was a pretty steep one for me. Um, growing up blue collar and then coming back into it, I think I, had, <clears throat> I was able to bridge that gap a little bit quicker but that was definitely sort of a wake up call of, oh, yeah, don't forget, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with different folks and they have different, different, different needs and everything that you need to make them happy, keep them going, doing their job like they want to do. Lance, on that, what would what are the distinctions that you've discovered between working with folks who are blue collar versus folks who are white collar? There's a heightened sense of drama that comes out of the blue collar f- folks, I think, Um I don't know how else to explain that other than that there's it, it, it when there is a problem, it is it, it seems bigger than it maybe is. Um, I think um, all of our architects, everybody that's under our umbrella in our firm, when there's a bigger problem, they are more they're they're more adept at solving that problem and, and more positive about solving that problem. And I think it's, it's so it's a negative like the negativity is bigger in the problems that come up in the field. When in reality, it's like we know there's going to be problems for whatever reasons, no, no matter even if it's nobody's fault, if it's just that something didn't quite work out how we wanted it to, 
it's like, yeah, we know that's going to happen. So the expectations that they have about that are, are different than ours. Like we're expecting it to happen. And I think they're like, oh, no, it's happening. End of the world. And it's like, no, 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 it's going to happen. We just have to work through it. And I just want to add on that. It's a lesson we learned, too, because the architecture staffs, colleagues that we have, we've empowered them to seek solutions. Right? On, on their own accord. On their own accord. Hey, you don't know. Call Lance. Call Al. Call the contractor. Call a contractor that's not on the project. Call the building official. Ask the contractor that's mad, what do you think his solution should be? He normally knows. He just is, you know, grumpy about it, right? Go to upcodes. Go, right? So all of those are at the disposal. So now the blue collar, you're there on the site, and let's just say they have a hammer and a level, and something else is going wrong. Do they know that how many options they have? Mm-hmm. Do they know the autonomy of the solutions that they can implement? And I don't think you think about that as much too. So as much as it's on them, the lesson is also on us. And that's yep. why he's saying it's a lesson is tell them their autonomy, tell them their resources, tell, you know, like give them those Some protocol, same, those same tools that you give to white collar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so one word that I use, which is kind of leading me to my second big, big lesson was expectations are different from clients. So the expectations you have from clients when they're your architecture client is vastly different than once you get into the field. And the biggest one was, I think we all think as architects that the owners and some of them who are much more experienced than let's say of somebody who's never hired an architect before and they're just doing an addition off the back of their house. We think that they know that they are reading the drawings the way we are and their expectations of the space that's going to be built is already what we, we expect because we're swimming in that all day long. So to see them actually take, have us, you know, once we go, once we go to build that project, the walls get framed up and they're like, oh, well, I wasn't expecting that. It's like, oh, okay. All right. It's just, it's just another. And so the feedback loop with that has been really interesting to close up and, and then give it back to our architects and say, uh, guys and gals, just so you know, when we, when we put this portion up, you know, maybe it's a vaulted ceiling or something, they were not expecting that. So we need to do a better job during the design phase of really walking them through the space as much as we can virtually and expecting expecting that they don't expect things. And so take that kind of surprise and mystery out of them. That was, that was a big one for me. Uh, the last one would be listen to your subs. A uh, perfect example of that would be, um, it's actually influenced the way we draw now, is our electrician. He says, he, he asked us one day, on, and this is a house I think Alex was building, He's like, is it possible that we could just split the electrical drawings in two and just have an outlet drawing with dimensions and then a separate drawing with switches and lights? And we go, sure. if that's what you want, he goes, oh, it just make my job way easier. It's just like it's so it'd be so clear. And we're like, OK, all right. And, and then there's been other little examples, too, of, of, of things that subs have said, specifically with timing. Um, the biggest one for our MEP subs, mechanical electrical plumbing, was plumbing comes first. Like you cannot change the way water, water, sewer, all of that runs, you know? So that should be the very first rough sub that comes in and electrical way different. You can wire stuff around stuff, HVAC even, you know, then HVAC should come next. And so the sequence has, has really been a, uh, just listening to the subs and the, like their preferred sequence it, it has been pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. That's good. Sounds like we should rename the acronym to be something like PME. Yes. Nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I was talking to a, 
potential architect, you know, client that was going to have our architectural services. And, and I should have known this, but he goes, yeah, I don't think we'll need MEP. And nice. because I always say MEP, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then I finally had to go, I go, what do you mean by MEP? Like, I want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding it. He goes, oh, mechanical electrical plumbing. I go, oh, okay. I do know what that is. <laughs> I just go, I love it. like, oh yeah, I just say it the way I read it. You know, <laughs> uh, have you heard that? Have you heard it called MEP? Never. That would be a first. I've never okay. heard anyone call it. It maps, you know, just generally I've always heard it and I, I've heard it spoken before I ever saw it written anyway. So you know what I'm yeah. saying? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. You yep. know? Um, yeah. Cause it's rare that it's rare that I see that written together as, you know, MEPs. Yeah. Anyway, so let's jump on, let's jump on to some mistakes, right? What, what are the three biggest mistakes that people should avoid, architects should avoid if they want to go down the road as a builder? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, the sure. first one is, and Alex kind of already talked about this, but it was don't make it a package deal. Meaning don't make it a package deal if they're bidding and like it's all or nothing. Be Really present yourself as I'm an architect plus I'm a builder. And the plus is I bring a whole wealth of knowledge that other architects, a lot of other architects, most of other architects, because they aren't builders as well, can't, can't help you with. I can, uh, so it's a, it's an additive, I'm, I'm adding value without you, without you having to spend any more money and really present it. And we go through this in the course too, like a, a, some simple sales tactics, ones that we found that worked of how you flip those architecture clients, the ones that make sense to you, the ones that you vetted, the ones where you, you actually really want to actually build this project that you've been working on for, you know, however many months and, and going through that sequence and presenting it that way, because it's like what Alex talked about earlier. Um, the, if the, if it's all or nothing and the relationship sours, it's going to be a really dirty breakup and you just don't want to get into that. So you're sort of playing this dating game throughout the architecture project of getting to the point of hopefully being the plus builder part of it. Uh, second one would be don't promote. If you're going to combine it or do the plus effect, however you tackle that is don't promote yourself and promise that you're going to have this giant cost savings. You you, you, I think you are, you do need to say, well, you, you, it's, it's okay for you to present it of, we will make cost effective solutions and still, you know, have this beautiful piece of architecture. But just because we're combining both things doesn't mean it's any less of my job as a contractor. I still have to do the same amount of job and time and effort and coordination and all of that as a general contractor would, but don't think we're getting a discount on services. If anything, what it is, is, uh, it's a plus for the client in that there should not be too many misinterpretations of any at all of the drawings because clearly we've drawn them. We could basically build this in our sleep. Um, the cost savings might actually come in like, man, eh, you're not going to get any hopefully change orders from us. And that's been a pretty big plus for us so far is like we aren't usually having to send any change orders to anybody hardly. We might dip into the contingency a little bit, but that's pretty normal. Um, and the last one would be... Um, what are they hard here? Huh. Building every time you can. Oh, um, make sure you're vetting everybody and don't think that you need to build just because now you have this beautiful uh, ability to be, be a builder. And you might see dollar signs because we're, honestly, the percentages are bigger when you're a builder for sure, because you are taking a little bit more risk in that sense. Um, it's, it's a, it is more work, right? Because uh, a building, you know, a little addition might take three months to, to draw and it's going to take maybe six months to build. So, uh, but don't think that just because you have that new empowerment that you should take on every single project 
for us, I think this has been a really good example of what a lot of other architects what like to do is they're like, I only like to, I'm very selective with my clients. Well, we've always been volume-based with architecture. And I think we're not that way with builders. We're very selective on who we'll build with and who we won't build with. Yeah. Um, for me, I think the, the first mistake is almost a mindset that stops people from actually doing it. So meaning, you know, I, I used to think this back in the past too. You need to know how to do everything. I think that's, that's wrong. Like when you are the contractor, that's actually not your job. It's not that that isn't important, but that's to learn the how it's better to have just in time learning. Meaning once you get it and you're going through those, you are learning from your subs, you're learning from YouTube, like immediately while it's happening. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have an idea of how things go together and all that. But I think everyone focuses on that. I need to know how everything is, is put together. And it's actually kind of ridiculous because there's different subs for different reasons. So the biggest mistake is people need to focus on what to do, when to do it, and who's going to do it. And there is so much complexity in that, that that is where you need to focus. And if you aren't focusing there, you're going to make the bigger mistakes than it. Um, you're going to make the bigger mistakes because you're focusing on how and not those, not the W's, the what, who, and when to do it. Um, the second one is... Just that concept of, of robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Um, either, like we said, you're taking construction fees and you're applying it to architecture or, uh, you know, giving them a, a lower price, like Lance was saying, uh, to, to, to guarantee. How we do it is once you are done with the architecture client and it works out, you're guaranteeing your profit later, right? Mm-hmm. The, the mistake would be trying to rope them into a design build when it's not appropriate, essentially. Um, and then the third is. Could, could you explain that, that point, Al, a little bit more? Yeah. So, so I think, I think they're trying to guarantee their profit when you're a design build firm, you know, like at, at the first time when you do a contract, right? And, but. The main, their main money source isn't coming until the end. So they're robbing the, the feedback loop is too large then. Mm -hmm. And then they're chasing their tail in the design phase, essentially. Um, and then the third one is let's say you're going to do architect plus builder. You really have to have the distinction between am I a builder? Am I actually doing physical work or am I a manager? And the right answer is you are a manager, right? Mm. So we learned this when we were building this eightplex. The only reason this worked out is because we had two of each other, you know, to save. So Lance was being the manager, but then all of a sudden we needed more production work. Well, Lance called me, well, Lance is the more productive builder. Okay. So Lance is going to now transition and be, do that building work. What does that mean? He can't manage things. Right. It is so interrupting to be trying to do stuff and then being asked questions all the time. Right. So then I was the manager for that. And then that actually helped alleviate and solve that. Literally, like if I wasn't managing, I was like sweeping, moving materials to people, you know, like holding up a door while they screw it in, you know, just nothing. Right. Um, but, but it's key to know that that, that is extremely, extremely valuable. 
So much so that um, we now, now that we've expanded, we have a crew. And one of the managers was was basically saying like, you know, like, hey, I get interrupted all the time, blah, you know, going through these problems. And then also one of the big things was, you know, I told him, you have to have the task ready for your crew so that they can do stuff like on Monday morning, like they, you have to be ahead of them. And he said, that's not always possible, Al. And I go, time out. <laughs> and I just had to state this and, and, and it may became a little bit forceful, but it got the point across. I have been running a firm with Lance for 10 years now. We've had up to 12 people. At no time over 10 years has someone not had something to do. Even when we've been really light on work and bringing yeah. new people in. Yeah. So you have to change your mindset. At no time while you are managing this project will someone have nothing to do. So what that means is that, let's say you set them up and they're doing a project and let's say it's gonna take you know just a day to do this thing. And, and let's say you don't have too much to do Right. So you're just you're going to help them the whole time. OK, time out at some time. You have to say time out. Let me go in my little corner or in my truck and realize what are we doing tomorrow? Do I have everything to them for that? that? Should I maybe go to Home Depot and buy all the materials and move it there and then and then come back and then hold up a door while they're putting it in or sweep the place like you have to change your mindset and put the priority that priority first. Yeah, I, I love that distinction. And it really ties into it's very appropriate for when we talk about business ownership, right? How many, you guys talked to a lot of business owners, you guys run a business, how many times is the business owner not filling the CEO role, right? In other words, there's different roles in the business. So for instance, uh, like you said, the, the role of the superintendent, whoever's managing that project, their highest and best use is managing, making sure things are ready, making things are, are going smoothly. Um, and when they're holding up a door, they're, they're not doing that. That's what I'm hearing. Well, well, what I mean is also is that exactly what you said, but they can hold up a door after they did their management. Yeah. You know, exactly. Th that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. Or otherwise you're not acting yeah. in that, ma that role whatsoever. Like you are not fulfilling that role first and foremost. And that is number one where you got to be at. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love, I have a friend. Um, she runs a, f a firm in Houston. She uses the analogy who's flying the plane. So she says that uh, a lot, what, what we see as business consultants working with architecture firms, and this is the way most, you know, architects, we're technicians, basically, you know, we're craftsmen, we're professionals. And so that's, that's what we're comfortable doing. And what we, what we fail to see sometimes is that there's, there's a reason why people get an MBA for two years, right? There's a reason why people hire CEOs of companies specifically to act as CEOs, right? So if, if you're not being the CEO of your business, who's being the CEO, right? So on your job site, if you're not managing and making sure the materials are there on the next day, who's gonna do that? Yep. And I agree, and it's so hard with architecture too because a lot of people that get in that position, they get in that position because they have a lot of clients and they have a lot of clients because they're probably good at design. Mm -hmm. They're probably good at executing. And passionate about it. And passionate. So all of a sudden, you, you don't get to do that as much. You have to do something else or else you're, your firm will flounder. Yeah, I think that's a really good. Not, not to get too far off track with that, but I think it's a really good point that we should we should we shouldn't just gloss over. Is that's that's a really harsh reality that I think a lot of sole practitioners uh, need to address when 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 they get to that point in their career of do I really want to expand? Why am I expand? Why do I want to expand? 
Um, because you're going to, you're, you have, you're going to put yourself in a position of, I'm going to have to start wearing a different hat. Am I comfortable with wearing that other hat? Is that really where I want to go? And for, you know, for me speaking for myself and Alex and Alex too is first and foremost, we've always just wanted to have a successful business. And I'm not saying architecture takes a second seat to that, but we recognize that in order to be able to have a successful business, how to eventually, if we want to do a franchise and that's, you know, one of our ideas is have it for another franchise in Denver and stuff like that is we're going to have to, we're going to have to hire talented, talented people that can take the, take on the work that we're, that we're out there getting, but then also look at the past and what Alex and I have set up with our, with us being at one time, very passionate designers and very, and very talented designers. And like, we're going to have to just pass that buck and be comfortable with other people doing that, doing that job. And then us finding gratitude and uh, enjoying being more CEO type of roles. Beautiful. Al, did we get to the end of your three points? There are three, three top mistakes yeah, there. We did. We did. The, la- the beautiful, last one beautiful. was building, being basically a construction worker <laughs> or a manager. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, can you guys tell us quickly, how, how did you guys end up going in the architect plus builder route? How did this occur? Well, so the last time we were on your show, we, we were talking about architect as a developer. We, we went down that route, uh, the positives, the negatives. One of the biggest negatives I think we, that we, I'm, I'm glad, I would never take that back. I, I would, I would repeat the process even in hindsight now, just because of all the knowledge, the wealth of knowledge that we, the prop, we've profited with knowledge more than money for sure. And one of it was taking a look at the whole process. So the whole process with that development took about three years. And two of it was in the planning department and the building department. And then only one of it was building. And if you take a look at those three years and then you think of it in terms of, well, how many houses, how many custom houses or custom uh, boutique, like little commercial tenant finish jobs could we have acted as the contractor on during that time? And then you look at the math and the numbers and it's like, Oh, and then you, and then you add on the layer of risk as a developer. You are the one taking the, one of the biggest gambles of your life, your family's life, Alex's, all of it. You, the firm, I mean, it's just giant, giant risk. You take all that into consideration. It was like, Oh, we should, we should be builders more than, more than developers because the risk to reward is much different. Uh, it, even monetarily wise, it is much different. Um, I'm not sure we could. We could have been able to sell ourselves just like when we started F9 at the beginning, if we didn't take the risk of doing the development first and proving that we can build, build well, still do really great architecture and then walk clients literally through the space that we've built. And it just gives up, you know, them a whole nother level of confidence with us. Yeah. And, And to dig down more into that example. So this is a nine unit that we built, built it over three years. That means, you know, three units a year, right? For you know, some sort of return. Now let's contrast what you needed to put in to get that three units per year and what the alternative is. So the first way is you put a lot of capital to get a land or a portion of land. Then you put a lot of capital in sweat or money to get the architecture plans, the engineering plans, you know, all that stuff that you're familiar with. Then you get the loan, then you build it, you know, that's difficult. Then during that process, somehow you make sure that you sell those so that you can sell them, you know, so that it sells right after, then you have all the liability risk and all that, right? So 
Okay, there's that process. And you went from putting that cap- capital and time and energy from day one, and you didn't get it until year three. Now, the other route is, and we literally thought, man, we, we could build four houses a year. <laughs> uh, and in this scenario, you'd only have to build three, right? You could build four houses a year, put in almost no capital. Once the drawings are done, we're immediately building, immediately money is coming in with no capital, and we're making more with less risk. It, it just became a no-brainer um, for us to do it that way. So that's in Lance's analogy and, and why we learned and pivoted and then just go like, okay, now we're going to build an 18 plex. Yeah. You know, um, so that that was the, the immediate transition, but it actually started way kind of back early on where we always decided to do a fun project a year. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because then you have a, when you do a fun project or a project that you have control over, because sometimes, you know, building isn't fun, right? Or something you do isn't fun, but a project that you have complete control over because your authenticity of your design is going to come through and people are going to resonate with that, right? So one of the first ones were, and I'm sure we've talked about this on your podcast, you know, Blake's tiny house that turned into Atlas's house, Atlas house, right? Got a whole bunch of publicity and press. And that turned into two bigger, cooler, transforming um, tiny houses for a Fortune 500 company. Um, and then that turned into, into this project too. So it was always like this passion of growing. And then we built, you know, houses, additions, barn dominiums, which is a condominium and a barn, you know, put together. Um, so that was like the, the baby genesis from, from back in the day. The through line was always doing something passionate and then deciding to take on, uh, more responsibility to get more reward. But now we're just trying to subtract the risk from that. So Lance and I, you guys have just launched a course, uh, walking people step-by-step through the process of becoming an architect and going the builder route, including that in your, in your service offerings. Can you tell us about that course? What, what could people learn there? Where can they go to find out more about it? Yeah, so absolutely. Go to um, the first place to check it out and, and to look over it yourself is Architects Guide to So architect, which is plural, guide, and then to.com. So after we learned all these lessons, and some of them like the, the brutally hard way, um, just painful, you know, financial, just not organizing it right, you know, taking on all that. Risk. Yeah, like I talked about, we should, should, we be, should we be PME or should we be MEP, right? Like, perfect example. Yep. So there's multiple examples of that. But the first is we talk about how we transition clients from architecture clients to construction clients. And the nuances that we take, like here's one of probably a bunch of examples is, uh, you know, we used to have meetings to show them the bids. And, you know, once we, once they said, yeah, bid on the project and we just got a lot of, uh, it was not awkward. It was just a little bit tense. So we would ask our other contract friends, like, what do you do? And they go, Oh no, no, we don't do that. That's dumb. We don't go, we don't go line item by line item to show them exactly how over budget everything is because lumbers went up 250% since June. <laughs> So he said, you know, we put it together and we send the email at Friday on 5 p.m. And then they get mad at their own time. Then they have their own drinks at night. And then they have two days to calm down and realize maybe they came up with own solutions. And then you have a conversation on Monday, right? So that transitioning from, you know, architecture client to building client. And then how you can use those building clients too to also help your architecture. 
right? Mm -hmm. And then how to set up a project. Because I talked about that, you know, what, uh, when, and, and who. So what's the structure in place to set up a project for success? And there's different, there's scheduling, there's um, inspections, there's draws, you know, all that stuff that you might not be familiar with. And that was a huge thing too, because, you know, Lance did the draw process first and then, you know, I did it second. But just us being able to show you, this is what it's like. You know, this is what the inspection sheet is like. Just that first introduction so that you can build that scaffolding. So you're just not running around, not knowing what to do, having no confidence. The whole course is based on giving you clarity. If you have clarity, you can make better decisions, right? And one of the things that we learned while we were building this a couple months ago is, you know, we, we, we're fortunate enough to open up our firm's Revit resources in, in a course that we teach Revit Rocketship. And one of our principles was model like it gets built. Again, like decreasing this feedback loop. And there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons of, you know, how we structured our template and our training so that you have the confidence and clarity once you go out onto a job site that you modeled it right so that you aren't razzled, that you did a good thing and you can operate out of clarity, right? But when we were doing this, we thought, well, how do we take that same example and apply it to construction? So Lance and I knew we were going to build this course. We were, you know, filming it. I was talking to different builders. I said, hey, send me your um, bid sheet just so I can look over it, just so I can see that I don't miss anything. So I got multiple ones of that. We've dealt with different banks, right? They've sent ones. And then all of a sudden I go, this is, this is wrong. All, all these are wrong. And obviously, you know, they don't think it's wrong. And, and it's the same sense of how we model in Revit, I think is right. Other people don't do it that way, but you know, there's a real value in that. So how I transitioned it is I'm going to take all these things that are in CSI formats or bank formats or, you know, whatever. And I'm going to mimic construction, mimic how it gets built. So it's going to be in the sequence. So you have your foundations and excavations and there's different steps in there. You have your framing and roofing and there's different steps in there. There's plumbing, there's rough plumbing, there's finished plumbing, and then there's plumbing fixtures. They're all in different stages. So instead of just having plumbing, like, oh, I got a plumbing bid. I'm good to go. I'm, I'm totally safe. I got a plumbing bid. <laughs> oh, did that include all your fixtures or did you have a line item on that? Oh, I, I have a foundation guy. Um, that's going to do the foundation. Did that put in, did the, is he doing the excavation or not? Or are you going to somehow take a $20,000 hit or try to get that out of the client that somehow you just convinced them that you are competent in what you're doing and you're coming immediately with an air, right? So laying it out that way is a, is one, a learning process so that you know the sequence, but then it's a check. I got this bid. Oh, I can break that out into these different things. I can take the spreadsheet and just sort it by plumbers and say like, oh, I'm missing like three items that I would have discovered in the future that would have been a headache, that would have been caused me anxiety, made me lose money. Now I can solve that essentially right away. Um, and then, so it, it, it's that. And then it's, okay, what do you need to do to actually be a builder? So now that you've gotten the client, you've prepped it all, all the right way, you know the sequence, you know kind of how it's going to go. <clears throat> What licenses do you need? What insurances do you need? Here's an overview of the contractor's test. Here's some tips for that. Um, how to, you know, how to manage all that, how to actually set up that business right too. Um, and then there's some bonus interviews from other builders. And one of the things I learned too when I was talking to these other builders is a lot of times they had a guide. 
their dad was a builder. Their uncle was a builder. You know, their, um, one of their best, you know, like their friend's dad was a builder and they just, you know, followed him. <clears throat> and we thought that since we started this firm and, and we started it basically by ourselves and we were looking for guides and they were so valuable, so valuable to us. Like one sentence I remember from one of my, you know, mentors quote guides was cause my anxiety and level to go way down because I just didn't know. Right. So, you know, this course has a price, but the, the value that you get for it is easily going to be tenfold. And for people who don't have that guide, you know, in the middle of nowhere, or they're just trying to do it themselves, um, that's also one of the main reasons of, of why we made this is you're going to be the one doing the work, but hopefully we can be the guide and, and show you those dumb lessons that really caused us. So all of a sudden yours goes so smoothly that we want you to say like, oh yeah, it's not even that hard. <laughs> and we'll be like, good, we did our job. Yeah, We did our job because I feel like some people at our staff, they realize years and years later, like, oh, other people are doing it the wrong way. I didn't realize that, you know, like now I understand why we're doing it this way. I'm so glad I didn't have to do this terrible process this whole so we'll let people know where to find that course. Uh, congratulations, you guys, on really making that resource available to people. And, you know, we always tell people here on the podcast that the quickest way to get from point A to point B is to fall in the steps of someone who's done it before. Because one thing that we uh, we, we tend to, to forget is that there's a cost of there's a cost of not doing things the right way. Right. And people usually they, they kind of they, they see the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. But I look forward to hearing some feedback from our listeners that decided they want to find out more about this. And thank you guys for being on the show today to share with us your journey and this possibility of pairing up architecture with actually getting into the building. You guys are doing it, uh, making an impact, and we appreciate having you here on the show today. Yeah, well, well as always, thanks for thanks for having us on, and I can, and I, in summation, I think what what I would just echo or you know repeat is is that. Our, one of our main goals with this is we always just give and give and give, especially through our podcast inside the firm, is that we just are trying to help architects become not only better architects, but with this, take back that master builder role and really start to start to take you know full ownership and reap the rewards, not only financially, but personally, professionally, knowledge wise. That's our goal with this is just to help architects in every way that we can. And that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alex Gore and Lance Psycho today. As a Business of Architecture listener, you can get $74 off their new course, Architect to Builder, when you go to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash builder and use the coupon code BOA. In the Architect to Builder course, you'll learn everything you need to know about adding construction services to your current offerings from how to win the client and guarantee a profit, how to manage draws, manage a crew, and even manage the subs. Go to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash builder to discover more. The views expressed on this show by my guests do not represent those of the hosts and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.